Hello, I'm Jonathan Mast, and welcome to this edition of the Sedgwick Podcast. Uh, today, we're talking about Mental Health Awareness Month, and it's a great uh, it's a great topic to to bring two of our experts in to focus on. And I want to welcome Mark Davis, client clinical manager for Sedgwick, and Rebecca Sherman, clinical behavioral health specialist for Sedgwick. Thank you both for being with me today. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Jonathan. Happy to be here. And we certainly know uh, that mental health is not just something that we talk about one month or one week out of the year. It's something that, that thankfully has become really a much higher focus, but this month it's great to bring more attention to it. And so we're going to start out uh, with, uh, with Mark uh, for our first question. And Mark, what challenges did those navigating a workers' compensation claim Face in terms of injury recovery and return to work in the current environment. Well, you know, I think it's important to remember that an injured worker who is navigating a workers' comp claim, and you know, just the process involved with filing a claim and, and following through with providing documentation for it and all that. It's important to kind of take a step back and realize that that injured worker is also experiencing probably a lot of pain, physical pain, maybe some emotional pain. They're probably pretty upset about what's going on with them. You know, getting injured is is absolutely no fun. And, you know, oftentimes we're dealing with people who are going through one of the toughest parts of their lives, and they're just not going to be, you know, real happy to deal with, uh, you know, going through the steps involved with filing a worker's comp claim. You know, whether they're recovering from an injury, whether it's a physical injury or even a psychological injury, can be challenging and certainly stressful for them. For many of the thoughts about returning to work are also daunting. There's a lot of fear about re-injury, fear about loss of income, and fear about their own recovery. Well, that is absolutely spot on. And, and Rebecca, what are some of the physiosocial barriers that our clients, employees may have to overcome? And what role did behavioral health specialists play in this, uh, helping those injured workers? Yeah, so we know that, you know, we all deal with psychosocial barriers in our lives. So it's not injured workers, it's it's everyone. But now on top of that, you're off work. And as Mark said so eloquently, you know, it's very stressful going through just the process of being off of work. And then if you have added things onto your life, what we know about psychosocial barriers are they affect a lot of different things. They can affect compliance. They can affect um, motivation, ability to communicate. They can affect our, our mental well-being, our frustration tolerance. Um, so it really can be psychosocial barriers can be something related to the work the workplace injury. So it can be something like a loss of income because you're getting paid less than what you were getting paid while you were working full-time, for example. Um, it could have nothing to do with your work camp injury. It could be something else that's going on in your life. It could be um, the loss of a loved one. It could be a divorce or a relationship issue. It could be problems with your children or their health or child care. So there's just a lot of different things. Um, as far as, as behavioral health being on board and addressing some of those psychosocial barriers, a lot of what we do with injured workers um, is psychoeducation and, and validation. Um, we, people need to be heard. They want to be heard, um, especially in a situation where, you know, they're just out of their element. 
nothing in their life is going normal when you're not at work because of an injury. So having that kind of validation, we do a lot of motivational interviewing, which would be asking open-ended questions, kind of getting a sense where they're at, and then providing the support that's needed um, when it's needed uh, so that we can assist them in, in managing through their treatment and getting them back to work appropriately. And following up on that, would you mind sharing an example uh, of the types of cases that Sedgwick's claims teams may see and, and how we respond accordingly? Yeah, yeah. We see um, a slew of different things, as you can imagine, Jonathan. I mean, we see everything from, you know, physical injuries that can be minor and take you off work for a couple of days to, you know, more significant injuries that can be a long-term thing back injuries or concussions or, or even some more catastrophic injuries like significant amputations or things like that. Um, we also see um, situations where people have been the victim of violence at work, um, workplace robberies, and we've been seeing more of that, and you're seeing that in the news. And so those are the kinds of things that we see um, and that come across, across claims examiners' desks. Um, you know, at Cedric, we have such a robust uh, managed care team, so we have a lot of different components, not just behavioral health. We've got nurse case managers, telephonic and field case managers. We've got return-to-work specialists. Um, but as far as, as behavioral health specialists really focusing in on, um, you know, how can we help on a file? And, and we do see a lot of um, claims that are our psych accepted claims, so the the workplace injuries that maybe resulted from a robbery. But we also work on claims where it, there's not a psych component that is industrial, but that is definitely one of those psychosocial barriers affecting ability to move forward in a claim. Um, so again, we do a lot of psychoeducation, a lot of um, medical management communication with. Uh, psych providers. Uh, we do provider vetting and referrals. Um, we do clinical consultation and oversight on a claim, communicating with examiners and other other people that are involved on the file. And really, you know, the heart of what we do is really contacting that injured worker and providing that telephonic support. Um, sometimes it's access to resources. Sometimes it's um, getting them set up with the correct provider. Sometimes it's just um, some basic coping skills that we can provide to them that can kind of get them through and get them on the right path. And we're going to ask one more follow-up question, and, and Mark, if you want to jump in after this, uh, if you have any thoughts on these this series of questions. But, uh, Rebecca, what are some effective ways that workers can manage their well-being? And if you had one top self-care tip, what would that be? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, managing well-being has become really tricky because I think I think people are good at knowing what to do a lot of times, at least for the physical stuff. You know, we've always been taught, you know, eat healthy, get good sleep, um, you know, go to the doctor, drink a lot of water. I think those are things that we hear in the media and that we've been told by our physicians and, you know, that are kind of in the forefront of people's minds. Um, I think the, the mental health stuff and the, the behavioral stuff is a little bit different. And I want to remind people, self-care is not a, I'm doing that once on a Tuesday and now I don't have to think about it anymore. It's a daily practice. So just like 
you know, what you would do for diet and exercise and, and a sleep regimen you would do for your mental well-being. So some of those things could look like um, taking regular breaks, engaging your support system, you know, talking about your feelings if you're feeling stressed, um, setting realist, realistic expectations for yourself, for other people, um, doing meditation, doing breath work, uh, keeping a gratitude journal, things like that that would be um, great self-care kinds of things that we want to touch base on every day. Um, as for me, I think my favorite right now, and, and mine changed depending on, you know, where I'm at, but I think my favorite right now and kind of got really instilled in me during COVID and the pandemic was just having grace, having grace for myself and having grace for other people. I mean, we're all kind of going through our own thing. When we were going through the pandemic, it was like we were all kind of going through that. And it was easier to give permission to, you know, give each other that grace and to also give grace to yourself. And and I think my other one is setting boundaries. I, I always say healthy boundaries are a wonderful thing, and I think it, it really helps you assist with self-care if you can kind of know your own boundaries, when to set them appropriately. Um, I don't know, Mark, do you have a favorite? Well, you mentioned the pandemic, and yeah, you know, I'll tell you one of my favorites that I started doing more actively um, right around the, the, the time that we started in lockdown um, in 2020 was limiting exposure to social media. Um, social media, as you probably already know, and it's certainly coming out, out a lot more in the news, is designed to elevate your emotions. I mean, that, that's, that's their algorithm. And so it's, it's designed to make you feel something, usually upset. And so I find that if I can put myself on a media break or at least limit how much exposure I have to social media, it actually does reduce my overall stress. And it's something that I recommend to a lot of, um, a lot of the folks that we're working with, um, especially claimants who are trying to manage a very stressful situation during their recovery if they're sitting on their smartphones and doom scrolling hours and hours at a time, that's not good for them. And it's not good for overall stress. It's certainly not good for their sleep. And so I, I suggest to them, and I suggest to even friends and family, that you know, set a timer for yourself. Set, a, set an actual timer for how much time you're going to spend on social media um, and, and stick to it. And, and you'll notice a, a a great improvement in your overall arousal state um, and your ability to sleep better. It, it's, it works like magic. <laughs> well, and, and I know at least on the uh, most mobile devices too, right, you can even set, because um, there's parental controls, I think you can set your own screen time uh, restrictions if if you don't feel like you can I mean obviously you could still go in and reset those but probably another good idea I would think Mark is you could just set you can set that too and maybe that'll be like the rubber band around your wrist you know won't, <laughs> you won't want to get on as as much but uh, those are great tips and and so Mark going uh, to you now while employees typically assume responsibility for caring for their own mental health outside of work we are seeing the pendulum uh, swinging in recent years and putting more of the responsibility on employers to take care of their people. So speaking uh, to employers, what can they do to help support their employees' well-being? 
Well, yeah, it's interesting, Jonathan. I mean, survey results that came out just a few months ago, I think it was Calm that uh, did a survey. The number one source of stress for um, people is work. Um, it outweighs any other stressor in people's daily lives, including financial stress. Work stress is the number one cause of stress for people. And, um, you know, we can always, uh, we talk about resilience, we talk about employees developing resilience. A lot of the focus in the media has really been on resilience. And, you know, resilience is, is one thing, but, you know, we can also look at what role do employers have on piling on stressful situations for employees. And that's something that actually employers do have some control over to some extent, uh, specifically managers and supervisors. And so when I talk to managers and supervisors, one thing I really want to um, hammer home is this idea of figure out what your employees are feeling. And there isn't an easy way to do that other than to talk to them. I mean, you could do a survey. Surveys are only going to get you a little piece of the information. A lot of companies rely on a lot of surveys to hopefully get a temperature check. And surveys are great, but it doesn't take, it doesn't take over from the valuable information that you're going to get from actually talking to your employees. I suggest to managers set up a regular time to have conversations with your employees. I try to do that with my folks um, once a week um, where we're talking just one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I have the luxury I can do that. Um, other managers, if you have a large team, that may not be realistic, but try to have some regular contact with them at least every other week. Um, and talk about things that aren't necessarily work-related. Talk about what's going on in their personal lives. Ask them. Share information about yourself. Um, it's important that uh, we also model good behavior when it comes to setting boundaries for work-life balance. Um, we talk about work-life balance as if it's uh, everybody knows what that means. You know, what you're looking at is um, you know, trying to keep stress at work at work and not have it bleed over into your home life as much as possible. And it's really challenging when you're working from home because your office is in your home. And so it's really harder to have a work-life balance if you are a remote worker. Um, it's also harder for a manager to find out what someone's feeling and thinking when they can't actually see them. So there's some challenges there that will take some extra steps on a manager's part to get to uh, to get to that information. Um, one thing I encourage managers to do when I, when I talk about modeling good behavior, just kind of give an example of what that looks like, um, you know, be mindful of when you send emails. Don't send them after hours. Or if you do work, you know, after hours, set your, um, your email system up to deliver the email during work hours. You can, you know, there's settings you can do to adjust that. Um, don't send emails after hours because people will often read emails after hours and then it, you know, upsets their, their, uh, their relaxation time or their time with their family. Um, don't call or text employees after hours uh, at home you know, if you can avoid that. Um, I mean, there's some circumstances where some jobs are more emergency-based, and, and that may not be realistic. Uh, but for the most part, if you have something that can wait till the next day, try to wait till the next day. Um, because the last thing you want to do is um, create an environment where your employees are going to burn out. Um, and then also just for yourself as a manager, you have a stressful job as well. Make sure you take time to recharge and actually unplug during your off time. Um, encourage your team to take vacation time or paid time off if they have that benefit, um, and, and encourage them to actually stay unplugged from work during that time.
And then I would say lastly, Jonathan, as an employer, you need to also look at what kind of benefits you're offering your group. Um, many employers now have uh, employee assistance program benefits. They may also offer some health and wellness benefits. Make sure you provide that information to your employees and let them know it's available to them, usually free of charge, and often they can access those benefits confidentially. So um, it's not something that's going to be reported back to your team that you're using those benefits, um, and, and make sure that your employees know that that is available to them. Well, and, and finally, of course, it's a it's a two you know two edged sword here. But what role does technology play in the wellness space today? Because there are a lot of options that that are really nice and available. There are a lot of options. You know, technology. You're you're right. It is a two edged sword. I mean, on the on the sharp end of the sword, you've got social media, which can actually be really helpful when you're isolated. And, and a lot of people did turn to social media during the early days of uh, the pandemic and lockdown. Um, it was their only way of connecting with other people in, in a lot of instances. But, you know, the, the, the sharp edge of that sword is that it can also be detrimental to your mental health if used too much um, or used in the wrong way or not monitored. Um, other things that, uh, you know, when I think of technology, I also think of, um, you know, one of the biggest um, uh, one of the biggest advances that we've seen in the in the psychological field is the delivery of counseling services via telemed, uh, telehealth appointments, virtual visits with a qualified psychologist or counselor uh, that provides a lot more access for people that may not have the ability to travel to um, see a provider. We see this a lot even in workers' comp where, um, you know, people may not be able to travel because of a physical injury or there might be some other mental health concerns that are keeping them homebound. And so the the availability of psychologists and therapists seeing people uh, virtually um, has, has really opened up a whole bunch of possibilities for appointments. Um, another thing to consider is uh, we, we talked about some apps earlier with monitoring your social media usage, but there's other apps that you can use that can also be very helpful in the wellness space. I'm thinking of apps that uh, we use all the time for mindfulness, uh, meditation. You can even have apps on yoga. Apps will man manage your, you know, how many steps you get in a day, exercise reminders about nutrition and other things that can help you um, overall increase your overall wellness. And I think that can be really useful as well. Um, and a lot of those apps are going to be free. Um, and, and there's a lot of free options out there that you don't have to spend a lot of money. You don't have to enroll in them. A lot of them are even ad-free. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of options there. Um, Rebecca, I think, did you have ideas on some of those apps as well? I know you've used those in the past with claimants. Yeah, there are a lot of really good apps and a lot of um, a lot of apps that are updated um, pretty regularly that are associated with like anxiety disorders um, research. Uh, who are running the applications? I'm I'm thinking of UCLA Mindful as one that I recommend quite a bit. Um, you know, there's a couple other ones that are are great for walking you through a panic attack. Um, this is where I'm at right now. Um, and it kind of, like, takes you through and asks you questions and kind of gives you some feedback um, about what, what kind of steps you could take. So, yeah, I would agree that there's quite a lot out there in the app world, and it's just finding what works for you. 
I know when I think about um, technology, and this is kind of even before all that, and you mentioned kind of, you know, monitoring your steps and your breath, Mark, but, you know, in, in therapy we use that too in, in a biofeedback kind of format where, you know, you're measuring the temperature of your skin, you're measuring the, your heart rate um, while you're involved in therapy. So that's been going on for a long time. They do a lot of that in EMDR therapy, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. Um, even in cognitive behavioral therapy, they'll do that kind of biofeedback where you're paying attention to your breath or your heart rate or your temperature, um, which can be really beneficial to kind of have that immediate feedback on this is what my body is doing while my mind is going through this. So I, it's, mm -hmm. it's really fascinating. Well, I want to thank both Mark and Rebecca for taking time uh, to talk to us today. And, and certainly, one of, I think one of the biggest things, I know, Mark, since you've been doing podcasts uh, on the show, is just that I think we're, we're seeing, if anything else, more and more acceptance of people are dealing with mental health, and it's okay, and whatever that is. So but beyond the scope of our discussion today, we encourage you to to reach out to someone if you need if you need assistance. So uh, again, thanks to our experts and until next time, we'll catch you then.